With a closer look at the news and events affecting Prince George, welcome to After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. Welcome to After 9. This is Eric Allen, your host. Uh, My guest today is going to be Dale McDermott. We're going to take a walk through uh, memory lane in regard to golf courses in the Prince George area. Dale has a long history of being associated with golf in Prince George and I've been around for a while, so I'm sure I'll remember some of the things he'll be talking about. <clears throat> Are you there, Dale? Yes, I am. Good morning, Eric. Good morning, Dale. Yeah, I was uh, kind of going through this last night, and I was thinking maybe we'll start with the, uh, you know, we'll go through the golf courses that we have or have left, and, and maybe you can just give us a little background on them and when they got started and uh, how they panned out over the years. I was thinking maybe starting with the Prince George Golf and Curling Club because, uh it kind of had an interesting start in Prince George. Yes, uh, the first site, uh, the club was at the Lindley Tenney Park. I hope I pronounced that right. It was a nine-hole course. And if you go up to the park and sort of take a look, you can still see the fairways cut uh, on the trees. And then it moved uh, because of the, uh, the federal government, the Army, Air Force, moved the site to where it is now. And it started with nine holes and sand greens. Yeah, um, I know you mentioned those sand greens. Uh, I sort of forgot about those that uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, had to go back and forth. <laughs> well, well I was carpet. very young. I was caddying for my dad, and one of the fun parts was raking it and matting it. And then you'd go over the hole, and you'd have to pull the hole out and empty the sand. <laughs> <laughs> and so, uh, um, you know, as a kid, as a very small kid, it was really fun to play on the greens while they golf. Yeah. Seems to me at that time they had, they just had a sort of a trailer there or something for a... There's a trailer? Uh, well, on the old curling rink, there's a the, uh, roller rink now, was for a club storage... And the first tee box was right in front of the door, where the parking lot is now. Oh, yeah. And um, there's a trailer building on the left when you teed off. I can barely remember that. Um, and then uh, Harold Preddy, Mr. and Mrs. Preddy's house was to the right. Oh, yeah, I didn't know that. Shed. Remember that? No, no, I didn't. Uh... Yeah. yeah. And, uh, well, a funny thing was uh, one of the... Funny, you're the best golfers, amateur golfers, and been here forever, taught the junior program, was Finley Young. And when he came, and he was from Scotland, and he was playing with Harold Preddy, the pro, he walked around the first dog leg there on number one, <clears throat> and Finley looked and saw, and he never saw us on green. He was <laughs> <laughs> so he looked up and he said, well, what's the flag doing in the bunker? <laughs> And the next year, they started building green greens with Finley's guidance. (laughs) Oh, good Lord. I understand they still got sand greens north of of here in Fort St. John or something. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, you know, and then it went from there, went from that nine holes to 18, and they had three holes where Pine Center is. Hmm. And uh, they uh, dug for water down there. And finally got a, a, a system 
uh, uh, well, so they could have an uh, automatic underground water system. Hmm. And that was down in the bottom there. And then when uh, Kelfer, the Pine Center, developed, they bought the three holes and built another three holes for the Prince George Golf Club and supplied the whole water system. Hmm. So Prince George got, they didn't lose any holes and they got a free water system. Well, it worked out okay for them, eh? <laughs> hmm? So that worked out pretty good for them. It was good. It was all right. And um, Also, I think in there, the, the clubhouse somehow got involved with that. The old clubhouse. I'm not sure about that. I wasn't. So I guess uh, just to go back a bit, this the original PG Golf and Curling Club being at the late Leytony Park. There, this goes back to somewhere around 1925, doesn't it? When yeah. it started. Yeah, yeah. And they moved when the, the federal government, the city of Prince George, all that land where the golf course is now and where the ball diamonds were. And right to Ferry Avenue. Yeah, that was the uh, that was the old airport. When it moved out to where it is yeah. now, they gave yeah. that land. The federal government gave that land to the city, as I understood it, for recreational purposes in yeah. perpetuity. <clears throat> Not sure how that works out so far. <laughs> I think they relocated a lot of the uh, recreational deals, yeah. but we still have the part three there. Yeah. Uh, well, the reason we never could grow grass, we couldn't figure out why you couldn't grow grass in that driving range. And it was a rail, a runway, an airport oh, runway. That makes so sense. It was, yeah, it was packed with oil and, and compressor, you know, that could take these, these big planes. It was impossible to grow grass in that stupid thing. We, everybody, everybody tried and we couldn't figure it out. Then we did some research and found, found out. And well, actually, and the old curling rink, was a hanger. Yeah, that sort of Original. makes sense when you think about it, yeah. Yeah, and, and see how the design looks. Yeah. And see, yeah. And then, um, yeah, then, well, the Prince George Golf Club, um, well, the, then they had um, driving range down on the bottom where the 10th hole is. Um, and then that got shut down because they had to have more golf holes. And then... Um, um, Pine Valley was there. They had nine holes and the driving range. That, they used that kind of driving range instead for the Prince George Golf Club. Because mm -hmm. it was kind of right next door. You could warm up and hit balls at Pine Valley and then zip over and tee off. Eh? Yeah. yeah. So they didn't have, they didn't have to you have two places doing the same thing. That was with uh, Mr. Pete Jansen did that. Yeah, I was going to get to that one uh, yeah. next, actually. Uh, so that Pine Valley Part 3, that started... When did that get started? Did you get an idea on that? I don't... I, I remember for sure, I, we ran recreation classes out of high school, so it would have been 19... Easily, golly, early 60s? Maybe earlier? I can't really remember. We didn't... I know for sure we played golf there in high school or in high school in the recreation program in 1965. Well, I understood that that was there about 10 years that. before you guys were there. Yeah. Does yeah. that sort of coincide with what you're thinking? Yeah. Yeah. It was uh, Pete Jansen built it. So he built a nine-hole course uh, at the par three there. What's that? It was a nine-hole course that he built 
an eight-hole course and a driving range. And uh, then we went to 18 holes later when we got it. Yeah. We worked with the city and got got the lease in two and nine holes. So you and that was at the same time that they did the record or the expansion at the Prince George Golf Club because we both used the same company to put in the water system and the ditching and uh, the wells and all that. Hmm. They just did the Prince George Club and then crossed the street and did ours. So we all did it at the same time. And yeah, well, that was a pretty good driving range there. It was upstairs, downstairs driving range, eh? Yeah, yeah, and it was good, but but it was bad because there was no grass. Yeah, (laughs) that's good if you want to go for distance. Yeah, yeah, well, and there was at the end of the driving range where uh, um, Superstore, yeah, Superstore is, was a Pagera. Yeah, that's right, too. They had the car car racing in there. So all the long ball knockers would knock it into Pagera. And then at night, we'd go pick the balls up inside the track. Yeah, there was a lot of noise there with that Pagera. Oh, it was a lot of noise, yeah. Yeah. And all the ball diamonds down the one side there. And also, I don't know if, not this conversation, but there was a go-kart track in amongst all those ball diamonds. Yeah, I vaguely remember that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, excuse me. A couple of ball, couple of ball clubs in there, and the, the uh, yeah, it's uh, horseshoe pits. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. But the one uh, ball field there was named after Bargy, I think. Yeah, Bargy. Yeah, yeah. He's a big sports guy in town. Yeah, he was. Bargy, yeah. good guy. Yeah, and uh, so and then. When we were building ours, the Norbratton family was built, built when we were going 18. That, that was when Mr. Norbratton's family was building Aspen. Yeah, they started out with a, with a nine-hole course, I think, in 1981 or something. Yeah, yeah. And uh, a driving range also. So yeah, then we had right. two driving ranges. And... Uh, and then after he got up and running with nine, he expanded into 18. Yeah, that was about six years later. I, I, again, I can recall golfing out there. when I think when it was nine holes, I tell you, that was a pretty rough course. It was. For his few years. Yeah, it took a lot of uh, love and care to get that thing going. But, it, but they got it. It was yeah. uh, it, it's, uh, still, you know, we're still playing it today. Yeah, it's a great little course, actually, and yeah, very scenic, you know. And there's still uh, wildlife there, and ducks and geese, and yeah, and it's a and, it's a mid par thing, you know. It's not as easy, not as uh, easy as Pine Valley, and not as difficult as the long one. So it serves that purpose. It's yep. a mid sixty par and a lot of play, you know. Good people, good family. Yeah, it's a very laid back golf course. Yeah, I think I'm, they kind of look at me as being part of the furniture out there. I've been there so long that uh, they yeah. say, "Oh, Eric, he's just part of the furniture." So. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, uh, yeah no, you could uh, walk on, walk off if you wanted to. It's just for nine holes or whatever. Well, oh, perfect. Yeah. Yeah, serves the whole golf courses can't be uh, tough and long and challenging, and you know they got to have some other. Everyone plays golf for a different reason. Yep, and you got to. Uh, 
you know, accommodate this. They're very successful men's and ladies' night out there. It's a lot of fun. So we can swing over to just uh, maybe you want to go through the Aberdeen club uh, when it came and. Uh, oh God, I think it's about. Uh, Lee, I was going to phone Jesse and ask. That's fifteen years now. It's gone so bad so fast. It's got to be at least fifteen, yeah. At least fifteen. Easily the best golf course in the interior, northern BC, interior BC. Um, very, very strong design. Well run. <laughs> You know, it's uh, I'd put it up against anything in the Okanagan, and uh, you know, use wise and, and and like that, anything in the Lower Mainland. It's a really, really good design. Yeah, it's amazing it's what good. they can cut out of the middle of a forest and come up with yeah. a golf course. Oh, it's spectacular! And some of the views, you know, you know, it's they keep it kind of tame, but if they wanted to uh, toughen it up. Put the tees back and grow the rough, and it would be it would be a very very strong strong design. Because you're you're counting on that rough to be short, so that when you hit on the side hills, it rolls back on the fairway. Yeah, otherwise right. you're finished. Well, that's well, that's the kind of uh, design the guy makes. He you know he makes it player friendly. Unless, of course, you want to toughen it up. Yeah. We're going to have to go for a break here, Dale, and we'll be back shortly. Throughout your life, the information you need to thrive and survive continually changes. Tune in to 93.1 CFIS-FM Tuesday afternoons at 1 for Senior Moments. Each week, Sharon Hurd and AJ will talk with the movers and the shakers in our community to keep you in the loop with the information you need from the people who know it best. Sponsored by Riverbend Manor, Tuesday afternoons at 1 with a rebroadcast Tuesday nights at 9. Senior Moments, only here on 93.1 CFIS-FM. It's Caribou Cougars Mental Health Awareness Weekend in Kin 1. The Greater Vancouver Canadians will be the opponent as the Caribou Cougars raise awareness for mental health in support of Buddy Check for Jesse, Saturday at 4.30 and Sunday at 10.30. Sponsored by Canadian Western Bank, green rally towels will be handed out and you're encouraged to rock your green swag in support of the cause. Mental Health Awareness Weekend featuring your Caribou Cougars, 4.30 Saturday and 10.30 Sunday in Kin 1. Make 2022 meaningful. Join Minerva BC's high-impact leadership programs. Emerging Leaders is a part-time development program designed to help new managers make the transition from individual contributor to effective leader. Starting April 6th, Emerging Leaders will equip participants with the mindset and tools needed to inspire others and achieve measurable results. For registration and more information on Emerging Leaders or other Minerva BC leadership programs like Women Leading the Way, Face of Leadership, and Learning to Lead, visit MinervaBC.ca. Forecast from Environment Canada, mainly cloudy today with a 60% chance of showers this afternoon. Winds in the south at 30, gusting to 50, a high of 6. Cloudy tonight, gusting south winds continuing and a low of 4. For Wednesday, a mix of sun and cloud, more gusting south winds, a high of 9. Keeping you up to date on current news and events in and around Prince George. This is After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. Okay, Dale, we're back. And I just wanted to <clears throat> touch on that Aberdeen uh, uh, <laughs> forgot what I was going to touch on now. How <laughs> it rolls back on the fairway. The yeah, that was, that was part of it, yeah. Well, I know what it was. It was... When it first opened up there, I was still relatively young, a, a, a younger, older person. Yeah. 
and uh, we try to walk it a couple times. <laughs> I tell you, that's no. a toughie. It's a tough walk. I got halfway got up that going up the hill. Yeah, I got halfway up that uh, hill on the second hole, oh, or yeah. going up to the second hole. And I stood there, and I was looking up, pretending to be looking at the scenery. <laughs> but I was bagged. I wasn't sure I was going to get to the top. <laughs> so well, well, they have helped up those two hills, but actually this is the first time. If you go, once you get up on two, you're okay. Yeah. The, the, the climb starts about 12 green, all the way up to 15, 16. That's just a brutal walk. Yeah, I walked it for quite a long time, though. Now I take the cart. Yeah, yeah. Well, it becomes the time. Yeah. I took cart last year, first time, and uh, yeah, I can understand why people ride it. It's a totally different yeah. game. Yeah. You don't get worn out. You still feel pretty good when the game's over. Yeah, you can so. still walk. Yeah, yeah. You can't. And uh, I was going to say something else about that. Oh yeah, the kind of design, the function, how that is, is. Every now and then they'll make it tough for a couple of tournaments, you know, and then you know how, you know how good your golf is, yeah, or rather isn't, and uh, they can make it very, very, very precise, say, eh? yeah, because if you did that every day. If you played that every day, you'd wear yourself out. It wouldn't be that very that much fun. And the other thing is, is uh, again because of design. Is it got all these tee boxes, so you don't always have to play it long. Yeah, you can go up to the front or in the middle and, and play different and make it like a different golf course. Sometimes we'll go up and play the red, hmm. and uh, it's really fun. Yeah, so I haven't done really, that, but yeah. So, so on these uh, tournaments like uh, the Simon Fraser, you played in that quite a bit, didn't you, over the years? I, I think I've played it like. I don't know, 50 times. Yeah. How many times did you win? One. <laughs> <laughs> That's one more than me. <laughs> I, I, hate to, I don't know if it was 50 times. I think uh, me and Pete Sherber Sr. are the... And then... Um, oh, what's his name? Vic Lucknowski. Oh, yeah. The three longest playing golfers in the Simon right now. And I, I won it once, thank goodness. It was when it was still a pro... It was a pro event for four or five years there. There was amateur side and the pro side. Yeah, I was going to bring that up because they have a, had something similar in 108, too, and those, are, those yeah. were pretty good tournaments. It was a really good tournament. 54 holes, had the pros there. I won that one, too, one year. Did you? Well, that's a, kind yeah. of a tough one. Yeah. Especially number nine. Yeah. Number 18. I remember a guy from Vancouver there, and in number 18, he hit, hit off the tee, and he put it down in the well, halfway up the fairway, but down to the left in the ditch there. And then he, he took a five-wood, and uh, he hit it right over the green and, and, and passed the fence out of bounds. So oh, he had to drop oh. it again. So that was, see, one, two, three. So he hit four, four onto the green, and, and he drained the putt. Tap in five. Yeah. <laughs> it's just amazing. I was in the wrong place, like, uh, with the wrong people. <laughs> But it was good to watch that kind of golf. And hopefully at some point they'll get it coming back here, too, because uh, it makes it more interesting. Yeah, yeah. I and mean, these well, guys can really pay. Prince George Club is pushing now is more, uh, more tee boxes. Yeah. So my, someone my age now, we're not hitting long irons and fairy woods in every hole. You go up to the senior tees. People think that that's for the 
you know, your tee boxes are more for handicapped than, you know, if you're a man or a woman. Yeah, yeah. You know, if you're a solid lady golfer, you should go back to the back tees. You don't care. And I'll go up to the front tees and we'll have an enjoyable game. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, uh, speaking of Vic, uh, I go to the uh, driving range in Aberdeen once in a while. Oh, he's still there. <laughs> he's still out there hitting balls. I know, it's amazing. Yeah. And on the same move. <laughs> he's yeah, still right. doing the same pivot. Yeah, that's right, he does. Yeah, I remember so. giving him lessons, God, then 50 goes, years ago. You go back he, to the same swing? Oh, yeah, 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 he's still doing the Hogan move. Amazing. He's a lot of fun to golf with, he's... <laughs> Doesn't hit it very far anymore, but he's still out there. Yeah. Well, that's one thing I was going to mention, that aside from being a game, golf is kind of uh, a sort of where you can go to play a game and get your exercise at the same time. So it's a two-for-one. And especially for the younger people, like for a while there, uh, in the wintertime, I'd put on 10 pounds, but then packing my clubs and golfing all summer, I'd take it off. Exactly. uh, Very sociable, eh? Yeah. I can play a... Uh, 70 and you can shoot 100 and we both have fun yeah exactly so you know so i think covid probably in the last couple of years brought out a lot of people that kind of got away from it and i got a hunch they're going to stick around yeah i hope so it really helped uh, the play i'm um hanging out around more around pine valley and alder hills right now and we were very busy the both years yeah that's what i had coming back coming back yeah, so now you mentioned Alder Hill, so we should go into that. That's uh... Oh, right. Yeah, the sexsmith built that. Um, just about when Pine Valley was they were changing the lease. Oh, yeah. Pine Valley. Um, and I think he had the wrong design function in mind. He wanted to make it very tough. And so it's a short course with very tough greens, very tough landing areas, hmm. very narrow. Because he thought everyone else was too easy and he was going to make it a difficult, you know, time. And it's a little, in my opinion, for beginners, it's a little too extreme. It's, um, but, you know, it gets play and uh, both, you know, so much demand depends on the design function of what kind of golfers you get. Yep, you bet. You know, you know it's, uh, I think they should have made the greens... And um, uh, Keith is actually fixing it up quite well. Last year was the best shape it's ever been in. And he's kind of making them bigger and, and more more golf-friendly and making the rough less uh, punishing. Yeah. And, of course, just, uh, one thing we overlook there once in a while is he's got a driving range out there, too. He's got a good driving range, and he's got top golf there now. I don't know if you ever heard of that, but it's like an electronic... Uh, targets and the dispensing and it's more uh, recreational. Oh, you go through, no, it's, all, it's all designed. It's just about finished. Under a roof. Mm. All automatic. It'll, it's it's, um, it's really going to be fun. I'll have to go out and have a look. Take a look. It's, you know, it's a very hot item. Mm. Be ready to go in the spring. And well, that, uh, change it up a bit. I think that other hot item they were going to bring in was uh, soccer ball golf, but I don't think they got off the ground. No, it's not much fun. No. no. Especially if you try to golf. Kicking, you know, <laughs> and then they also tried uh, frisbee golf. Oh, yeah. But now I think that's out at the ski hill, the Hart Highway ski hill. has got frisbee golf now. Well, there you go. 
So uh, we'll just swing over to the links of Maggie May. You've been out there a few times, eh? I've been out there. I, yeah, I walked in when he was building it, actually. We were helping with his water system. Oh, yeah. And uh, my brother especially helped, you know, ex-loggers, the two of them. And he did, he built it. It's uh, I think it's a daily green fee now. It's still open. And very, very wide fairways. Very friendly. You can play all day. Good people. Um, yeah, it's, it's uh yeah, for those that don't know that, uh, that's out towards Shelley there. I guess we, I'm getting signs here. I got to cut her off, Dale. Okay. Is that it thanks for the for day? Me. Yeah. Thanks for coming on. That was really good. I enjoyed it. I did too. Thanks, <laughs> yeah. Eric. Yep. Bye bye. The Alzheimer's Society of BC is continuing their series of online webinars. Everyone is encouraged to learn more about dementia and its stark impact on Canadians through their website, alzbc.org. While there, you can also register for their free webinars or watch previous presentations. The next webinar is Mapping Your Journey, Stages and Progression of Dementia, Wednesday from 2 to 3. The Alzheimer's Society of BC, bringing you support and information for dementia at alzbc.org. A creative exhibit on now at Two Rivers Gallery investigates the often overlooked role of sound within social relations of power. The politics of sound is in through April 10th and expands the understanding of how sound has varying material effects within society. Check out the politics of sound through April 10th at Two Rivers Gallery. Open 10 to 5 Tuesday through Saturday until 9 Thursday and noon to 5 Sunday where creativity flows in the Canada Games Plaza. Check out thevantagepoint.ca for the latest edition of their podcast, From Our Vantage Point. Bringing the five principles of democratic engagement to life has Jennifer Wolowicz returning to the podcast to introduce her new book, Where to Start, a workbook for evaluating democratic engagement impacts. This is a sequel to last February's podcast, The Five Principles of Democratic Engagement. From Our Vantage Point is available through the podcast link under media at thevantagepoint.ca. Vantage Point, transforming not-for-profit leadership. A solid foundation for new and aspiring not-for-profit managers can mean the difference between moving forward or feeling stuck. Vantage Point's Essentials for New Managers covers tools and approaches to achieve success in new management roles. Take part to discuss topics like your role as a manager and supporting your team's performance. Registration and full details are available at thevantagepoint.ca. Level up your management skills over the next three Tuesday evenings. Essentials for New Managers from Vantage Point, starting tonight via Zoom. It's after 9 on Prince George's Community Station, 93.1 CFIS-FM. Okay, we're back and we have uh, Peter Ewart and Herb Martin be on here with me for the balance of the show. And we're going to kick a few things around. First thing I wanted to start with is uh, these building permit numbers for the city of Prince George that are... uh, smashed all-time records and just try to get a general idea of what's going on there so i think i'll maybe start off with you peter if you got an idea i just did a quick count on on the number of units for 2021 that were being built with this story that came out on uh, the permits and there was 294 units uh and that's just with the apartment units. That's got nothing to do with the other permits for warehouses or whatever else they were building. And it's got nothing to do with what's going on in foothills or what's going on in College Heights or some of the other places. So 
obviously we've seen this for some time now that there's an extremely lot of uh, building going on so begs the question where are the people coming from uh, yeah no the, that that is an issue right you know like where you have you know some people coming from other jurisdictions where the uh, housing prices are, are too high you know that's one of the things right you know for sure but uh, there's other factors as well and you know one of the things that I've been looking into here is the whole question of uh, we have lots of new things being built, but how affordable is all of this? You know, like there's a, there was a report last November from the regional district of Fraser Fort George on the housing needs report, and they it, it showed some quite uh, uh, alarming things, right, in terms of uh, you know finding that safe, affordable, inclusive housing housing in this region is hard to find, and. Um, you know, we have an aging population, which is expected to go up dramatically in the next several years. Uh, and there's a need for more housing that is affordable and accessible. So, like, you have all these things being built, but how affordable and how accessible are them for people, for example, seniors on fixed income or, uh, or you know, say, a, a single single people with, with family, uh, you know, who are working on a... Uh, retail job or something like that. Like when you when you factor all these things in, there's a lot of people who are uh, falling through the cracks in terms of in terms of housing. Right? And yeah, it's compounded by the fact that the uh, in Canada, uh, Canada leads the G7 countries in terms of um, the growth of price price increases for housing. It's you know 21.4 percent annual growth in Canada. And that compares, you know, that's almost double the increase in the United States, which is 11.6%, or Germany, which is 6.3%. So uh, we have this situation where all the housing is um, being built, but uh, like the regional district report, you know, points out that uh, uh, a lot of this housing that is uh, on the market right now uh, is not affordable. You know, for uh, all kinds of people. You know, so this is a really fundamental election issue and uh, uh, an issue of concern for all, all sorts of people. Well, and then of course it's exasperated or whatever that word is by uh, the fact that you know they're predicting in the next ten years uh, a million job openings and uh, nobody to take the jobs. So. You know, we have a real shortage of uh, of workers, or we're going to have if the baby boomers retire and population grows. And uh, that's the province's latest labor forecast. So we got all kinds of problems uh, coming out here. Herb, what do you think about this? Well, on the face of it, it's, it's good news. There's uh, there's more construction activity in town, more jobs, more. You know, that's 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 all great for the economy. But if you if you crunch numbers a little bit. Um, it's, it's a bit of a spike after uh, a long period of relative inactivity. So from 2001 until 2018, uh, you know, the value of multifamily building permits uh, was under uh, $20 million. And um, so it's really, last last three years, there's been a, a, you know, a bit of a jump, or quite a bit of a jump. It's up uh, to almost $120 million this year. But if you, if you further crunch it down, you're looking at... Um, uh, when they say multifamily dwellings, they're including uh, single-room apartments, and uh, you know there's there's a 
basically half half of the uh, 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 building permits for multifamily dwellings or, or apartment buildings, and large portion of those are uh, single single bedroom apartments. And according to what Peter said, they're extremely expensive. Uh, apartments on foothills and uh, rec place, uh, you know, the, uh, the the price of a single room or single bedroom apartment is about uh, thirteen hundred bucks or more. So that's um, not particularly um, uh, cheap or affordable. And I think it was probably built with the uh, expectation that there will be a plastics plant uh, built in Prince George fairly soon. And I, I don't know if it, I, I don't quite actually see that happening. So I, I, I do know that uh, there's, a, there's a large number of vacancies, both at, um, on Foothills and at uh, Rec Place. Uh, we'll, you know, we'll, we'll see if those, uh, those were, were good investments or not for the, um, for the owners. But um, as, as Peter said, they're, they're not particularly affordable for the vast majority of people. And they're not, they're not truly um, you know, multifamily dwellings. They're, they're, built, they're built with a transient population in mind, either students or, uh, or you know, workers here for a short period of time. So, and then if you look at, um, you know, the price of housing, uh, you know, single-family dwellings here in Prince George, the, you know, the, it's taken off in the last year. People are looking at 30 and 40 percent increases, um, which makes things even more unaffordable. So what's been happening here is that there's not a lot of uh, uh, single lots being built, not a lot of family dwellings being built. And uh, prices are skyrocketing uh, for every every which form of, of, of dwelling. Well, there's all obviously all kinds of uh, different things that sort of feed into this. And, you know, what's good for the goose is good for the gander, but not not in every case. So, I'm thinking, uh, you know, if you if you're looking at at population and people that are in the area, like they're coming out of people. Since 2016, the last census, and there's a, every five years you have a census. So there's at least 15,000 people that probably left their homes in the Prince George area and are moving out looking for an apartment or whatever. There's a there's a large number of people there, and, and their choices if they can't afford to buy a house, their choice is to go into an apartment or stay out with their parents. So. I think that's a big part of it that we we really don't have a good handle on how many people are doing that. But even bigger than that, we tend to forget that the whole outlying area of Prince George has quit growing uh, substantially over the years. And when these people grow up in these smaller towns, they move. You know, there's no jobs in some of these smaller towns and that. So they move to Prince George or whatever, and they have to find an apartment and and so I have no idea how many people actually move to Prince George from the regional district, you know, say all the way out to, not the regional district, but certainly west, as far as Smithers, Terrace even, maybe. So maybe maybe these people that do the demographics know what's coming and, and are building accordingly, because certainly uh, something's going on there. Yeah, well, what, what you have is, uh, is a housing bubble in Canada. And, uh, you know, the problem with housing bubbles is eventually they, they, they usually break, right? But it's, you know, it has different characteristics. Like the housing bubble in Vancouver has its own features, whereas the housing bubble up in uh, places like Prince George and the other parts of the province 
it has its own features. And uh, this whole issue, I think, is going to be a really big issue in the coming years, this whole housing thing, right, for the reasons that, you know, Herb and yourself have, have talked about it, but uh, also, you know, just connected to the fact, uh, looking at the, the huge debt that large numbers of uh, Canadians have had to go into to uh, purchase the home, and uh, they're paying, uh, you know, the, the mortgage, and the interest rates are relatively low right now, but, um, you know, with inflation and all this, one of the traditional means to deal with inflation was to raise interest rates. Maybe, Peter, could I get you to just hold that thought? We'll take a break, and I'll be right back. The Prince George Firefighters' 24th annual Harley-Davidson raffle is underway. In partnership with Spirit of the North Healthcare Foundation, funds raised will be designated towards cardiac care for northern B.C. Tickets are just $20 and can be purchased online at harleyraffle.rafflenexus.com. The Prince George Firefighters 24th Annual Harley-Davidson Raffle, in support of the Spirit of the North Healthcare Foundation, draw date is April 15th. Financial sustainability and digital disruption are influencing the future of not-for-profits. Be equipped to lead through complex change by attending Canada's premier event for not-for-profit leaders. CPA Canada's not-for-profit webinar series is ideal for board members, senior leaders, executive, and managers. The series features three one-hour afternoon webinars on February 9th and 16th. Get full details and register for one or both days through the online learning link under Career and Professional Development at CPA Canada. Your Prince George Spruce Kings are teaming up with a pair of local businesses for a wild weekend of hockey. Friday and Saturday, the Wenatchee Wild return to the RMCA. Friday night is 2000's Decade Night, presented by Four Rivers Co-op, while Saturday is Love's Northern Rescue Night with WR Ventures. Full details and tickets are available from the Spruce Kings office and at sprucekings.bc.ca. A wild weekend of Spruce Kings hockey, Friday and Saturday at Rolling Mix Concrete Arena. Forecast from Environment Canada, mainly cloudy today with a 60% chance of showers this afternoon. Winds from the south at 30, gusting to 50, a high of 6. Cloudy tonight, gusting south winds continuing and a low of 4. For Wednesday, a mix of sun and cloud, more gusting south winds, a high of 9. Featuring the people who make things happen in Prince George, you're listening to After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. Okay, we're back. And Peter, you were talking about those interest rates here. You just want to carry on with that? Yeah, like you have a situation where uh, there's huge debt, huge personal debt related to housing across the country. All kinds of, you know, you know, young families getting into, you know, buying mortgages, but also uh, older families as well, still with a substantial mortgage to, to pay. So you have this situation whereby um, uh, we have this uh, inflation rate that's going on, uh, uh, hiking all the time. And um, one of the traditional ways to deal with that is uh, to hike interest rates. But if, if that happens, you have this huge uh, housing debt, you know, all kinds of people in, in debt there. They just wouldn't put it over the top if uh, they raise interest rates by any substantial amount. So that's a whole other feature of this situation. It's one of the things why I think that one of the reasons why this whole housing issue is going to be a really big in, in the coming years, right, whether it's the affordability issue of, uh, you know, people renting or people buying homes, uh, trying to get into the market, uh, and also being protected from uh, uh, interest rates, hikes, and uh, anyway, other other features. So it's a, it's a huge issue. 
Yeah, we know what happened in the 80s with the interest rates. I remember they were up at 18, 18% or something, and uh, I just lucked out. I had a five-year mortgage, and it hung on until the end, and then it went back down again. So I missed a big one, but a lot of people didn't, and uh, it was really serious at that time. Yeah, no, for sure. Like the, uh, you know, because then the issue comes up is okay, what is, uh, what, a, what's the priority of government, uh, federal, provincial, and so on, go- going to be right? You know, like the, uh, uh, is it going to be more, uh, you know, huge billions of dollars spent on things like Site C and, and so on, or are we going to be looking at the basic infrastructure that people live in, you know, n- namely their housing all the time? But and how are we going to have? Just top-down decisions made, or are we going to have a more bottom-up, you know, sort of flow of okay, where where the assistance should come and what needs to be developed in terms of housing? Yeah, what do you think, uh, Herb? Yeah, I think there's going to have to be some um, uh, increased government uh, help in developing affordable housing. I think that's the uh, the private sector here is not. Um, not providing that, and um, uh, that's um, that's going to be a problem going forward. There's not not a lot of uh, high-paying jobs being developed in Prince George, so uh, you know where do people go? Um, and we're going to have to keep that in mind. Well, they'll go where the jobs are. I mean, that's usually what happens. So if we don't have them here, they'll go somewhere else. But certainly, they're not going to go. To an area where it costs them twice as much for a house as it does here, so it's really it's it's a bad situation, and uh, it's got to be dealt with. I'm just looking at a headline here. It says millions needed to fix city's stormwater network. Well, you know those millions are going to come from taxes. This is something we're going to get into later on down the road here. Uh, you know just how much money is going to be spent on this stormwater, and maybe just to, to uh, Think about it now. Watch, see what happens to all the water that's on the ground now, and see where it goes. And then ask yourself, why we have to spend millions more? Because as far as I know, it just goes into the the system and into the river, and it's gone. I never seen it as being a big problem. Nobody agrees with me. Yeah. This other one here I just want to touch on is this. Uh, B.C. likely to run short of people to fill more than a one million job openings expected over the next decade as baby boomers retire and population grows. That's a million a million jobs. Most of the openings, about 635,000, will be the result of retirements along with others leaving the workforce. About 369,000 other openings will be new jobs needed in a growing economy according to forecasts. So, you know, those are big numbers. Uh, they think they'll get to the point where they'll have to try to entice people who retire to come back to work. So we're going to have a situation where we're going to have lots of jobs and, and not too many people. And then, so what do you do then? You you bring in, uh, you know, temporary workers. You bring in workers from other areas. I don't know. But with the price of housing in that, it's pretty hard to bring anybody in. Yeah, no, that's a that's a serious problem. Like the, the intersection of uh, of a number of problems. Of course, like when they predict these things, right? You know, that's what all they are is predictions, right? Because yep. there's all kinds of stuff that can happen in between now and then, right? 
in terms of uh, you know what's happening with like it's very complex what's happening on a global scale with uh, uh, employment and technological change and the elimination of jobs using artificial intelligence and 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 so on right you know so uh, it's uh, it, it, there's predictions that can be done right but uh, we don't know for sure whether those predictions will actually see themselves out right in terms of uh, yeah, yeah. You just don't know. And artificial intelligence, but I don't think they require houses to live in or cars to drive or anything like that. So, some serious problems. Everybody just have to say we have to stop doing that. Go back to the old ways, and uh, go back to the farms or whatever. I mean, we could do it. It's just the uh, the um, the greed to get rich is what drives this economy and. You know, as long as we think that way, we're going to be out there trying to make a dollar. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a feature of it. Like, and and part of the problem is uh, what I believe anyway is that we need a new model for this globalized world, right? You know, for a country like Canada, how do you operate in a in a globalized world like this, right? Do we just allow the market forces to basically sort of do what they want and tear us apart and? Uh, you know, shut down this mill here and move it over to southern United States or or Europe or whatever? Or do we build our own self-reliant uh, all-sided economy, you know, that uh, where we make sure that we've, we've got an economy that can sustain our population and that we're not at the mercy of, uh, of global forces? Okay, it looks like we're going to have to call her a day there, boys. Oh, no, I guess not. We've got one segment to go yet, so just hold on to what you're talking about, Peter, and we'll be right back. I guess I called AA because alcohol didn't work anymore. Drinking used to give me a sense of meaning in life. I called AA not knowing what to expect, certainly not cheerfulness, but that's what I got. People had humor. They seemed to be at ease. I hung around. Now I feel much more comfortable with myself and the people around me. Visit aa.org for more information and download the Meeting Guide app to find a meeting near you. Love them or hate them, meetings are a fact of life at any organization. Make the most of your time together by taking Vantage Point's effective board meeting facilitation. In this three-hour workshop, you'll learn practical tools and techniques for setting agendas, fostering participation, building consensus, and keeping your meetings on track. Registration and full details are available through the events link at thevantagepoint.ca. Effective board meeting facilitation, March 29th from 5.30 to 8.30 through the Vantage Point, transforming not-for-profit leadership. Advocate Life and Educational Services has a brand new website. This is an exciting step forward for Advocate as the new site is not only much nicer to look at, it's much easier to use and navigate because it's built with you in mind. Check it out today at advocate.ca. That's A-D-V-O-K-A-T-E dot C-A. Advocate Life and Educational Services, easier to access with their new website at advocate.ca. The University of Northern BC has launched the search for its eighth chancellor. The chancellor is a fully participating voting member of the university's Board of Governors, Senate, and several committees. The chancellor also confers all the degrees granted by the institution. It is a non-remunerated volunteer position. The review of nominations will start on March 14th and continue until the position is filled. Those wishing to submit a nomination can visit the Call for Nominations link at unbc.ca slash chancellor for full details. 
Thank you for tuning in and staying tuned to After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. Okay, we're back. And Peter, you were talking about we have to change the model and how we do things. And uh, I'll just give you a, a scenario. If, if we had a big meeting of the people who are involved in getting things done in British Columbia, in this day and age, sitting at the table would be uh, the corporations, big business, government, probably the labor unions, and uh, and the First Nations. And they all have, you know, legitimate reasons for being there, and they all have vested uh, reasons for being there. But every now and then, and quite often lately, I get the thought in, in my mind, who's representing the average worker, uh, taxpayer, uh, citizen, of, say, just British Columbia. Like, who's at that table that represents our interests? Now, we like to believe that our MLA will do that, but, you know, we have lots of history that shows that's really not the case, that the MLA basically represents the interest of the party, and the party decides what they're going to do. We've had a few examples of that with the NDP and Site C and a few other things, so... Even though we expected one thing, we got another. So are they, they uh, uh, you know, looking after our interests? Like, who's looking after the interests of actually trying to find a solution to the cost of homes in British Columbia? Where are they at today, and where do they think they're going? I mean, Vancouver does some work, and somebody else does something, but it's just sporadic. And I don't see anybody actually accomplishing anything or standing up and saying, this is what we need to do. I don't think we're being represented at all. I think that we're just sort of being sidelined and the rest of them are going on doing their thing. Uh, Herb, what do you think? Well, it's, uh, it's definitely a complicated uh, scenario. There's, um, you know, there's uh, housing prices have soared pretty much everywhere in North America. Uh yeah, I mean, in terms of uh, affordability, it's definitely uh, uh, it's diminished uh, right across Canada, right through the states. Uh, you know, we, you have to look at every situation uh, on its own merits. I think every every city has different problems, but uh, but overall, uh, look, you know, in in in, in, in Prince George, uh, there's a lot of a lot of land around the periphery of the city that that could be developed, uh, that should be developed, and uh, you know, we we should be looking at more single-family homes. I think that's that's one answer. That's that's who we want for the future of this of this city. We don't want uh, transient labor populations. Uh, we don't want people stuck in single, uh, uh, you know, bedroom apartments. That's um, really not uh, it's not a way forward for wealth creation or a stable uh, a stable uh, town. And um, so we we have to start thinking in terms of. Uh, of families first, and uh, and and a long term outlook for for ourselves. Otherwise, yeah, we're we're going to have a host of problems. And I think we should even go further. We should we should be looking. I mean, there are some groups, and the mayor and council in that meet with people outside of Prince George, regional district, etc. And we probably need more than that because. Uh, you know, we're basically bleeding the, the outlying areas and taking their business. And then years ago, Vancouver, Edmonton, Calgary, uh, they took most of our business south and uh, took a lot of jobs with them. So, you know, I don't know. It doesn't look good for the future if people have no place to go and no jobs to go to 
I just don't like the whole scenario. And I agree with uh, Peter. We need to change it. And and it's not going to be easy because people now are paying $150,000 or more for a lot. And there's no way that they're ever going to want to see the price of that lot go down because they'll lose money. So you can't... You'd have trouble getting a thirty or forty thousand dollar lot serviced and build a house on it because nobody would be supporting you because it would cost them money. Yeah, well, I I agree with you, Eric, about this whole problem of of lack of control, lack of input of uh, of, of people, you know, ordinary people in the, in the in the town in the in the province. Uh, the problem that we have is that uh, the uh, it's a democratic issue, right? That the fact that so much comes top down rather than from the bottom up, and we don't have mechanisms, you know, to involve people at uh, you know at the local level or whatever, by which people can have more say and more input into the decisions that are made. And so, you know, when we talk about uh, changing things, it's it's an economic issue, of course, but. It's also a political issue. Like uh, we need to, we need to renew the democratic process uh, and deal with this situation we're facing, which is a, in many ways, is a, is a new situation. And so we need new ideas in terms of uh, a political process and how to make it so that the things are more democratic. And instead of getting boondoggles imposed on us by governments, we have, we get policies and all that that come from the grassroots. Yeah, I don't even know where to start with that one. Uh, I guess we can start with the next election, see if anybody's going to stand up and actually say they're going to do something for the common taxpayer. I'm waiting to hear that one. Right. Well, Pierre, Pierre Pelly, I was promised everyone that Canada would be the most free country in the world. So. Oh, well. There. <laughs> we just, can look forward to that. Just before we go, I just wanted to hit this... Uh, Kevin Falcon wins BC Liberal leadership, so he won that. And, and you know, I think I was talking to Peter on it, and we mentioned that he only got fifty-two percent, but that's kind of misleading. He got fifty-two percent. Ross got thirty-four percent, and Lee got fourteen percent. So his Falcon's fifty-two percent is more than the second and the third uh, person combined. So actually, I don't know how many people voted, but uh, he did pretty good in that that part of it. And then no sooner do you get that headline and you get another one that uh, he's going to run in Vancouver, uh, Vancouver Quilchina writing, which was uh, Andrew Wilkinson's writing. Wilkinson's going to step down and uh, Falcon's going to run. So that kind of, I mean, this stuff is moving along pretty fast, all things considered. And uh, so it looks like maybe this guy's bent on actually doing something we'll have to wait and see but it's not like he doesn't have any uh, experience he was a deputy premier he was a finance minister, health minister transportation minister 10 years ago and uh, so he knows how governments work have to wait and see what he's got to offer as opposed to uh, the other people that are running still got a couple of minutes here anybody got a thought on that? well I, I think that one of the things that's coming out of this is that uh, there's really serious contradictions within the Liberal Party over how this uh, leadership campaign was run. Uh, six of the seven candidates, all of the candidates except Kevin Falcon, uh, said that the uh, that 24,000 members, so-called members, uh, 
that did not meet the party's criteria for membership, that there was um, irregularities in the membership thing, and they actually went to court to try to block the, um, the releasing of the information about who won on this whole thing. And, you know, like, you have to keep in mind that with the, the B.C. Liberal leadership races, there have been funny things in the past. There's a famous example of Olympia the cat back when Christy Clark ran for leadership uh, race, right? And uh, somebody looked into it and found out that Olympia the cat uh, was actually registered as a B.C. liberal, right, to vote, right? And there was other irregularities as well. Yeah, so We might have been better off if the cat had won, but <laughs> run and won. Anyway, we have to cut her off, boys, so uh, we'll talk to you again next week. And uh, all our listeners and everybody, tune in next Tuesday for uh, another round. Thank you. After 9 is a daily presentation of CFIS-FM. After 9 is produced by Alan Wishart, Echo Wiley, Trudy Clausen, and Rez Krebs. Executive producer is Reg Fair with technical assistance from Stephen Smith. Additional contributors include CBC News and the National Campus and Community Radio Association. Theme music is by The Ebbs. For a rebroadcast of today's program, check out the podcast link at cfisfm.ca. To provide feedback or suggestions for the show, please email cfisfm at yahoo.ca. Owned and operated by the Prince George Community Radio.